I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome to Counseling on Demand. I am your host, Fred Riley. Hey, thank you uh, once again for tuning in to today's podcast. Today we're going to be talking about uh, a couple youth that have been in the news recently, and we're going to talk about uh, some common responses and that uh, we have as a community, as a society, to both of these boys um, that are in the news. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what uh, I believe is... Uh, maybe better explanations for what's going on. We don't like to see these stories. Uh, let me give you uh, a little bit of heads up. We're talking about this young man that uh, I believe it was over grades, but he left home. He left a note for his dad saying, don't find me. He left all of those things behind, uh, devices and so forth, took 1000 bucks and, and left. And, and uh, you know, to great surprise by family, this is where you know, you hear the news and people say this doesn't happen in our neighborhood and this kid was a good young man and so on and so forth. And uh, oftentimes we judge the parents here. You know, the parents, um, they were clueless. You know, they weren't watching over this individual, that type of thing. And it's easy to blame the parents. And I even find myself going that direction sometimes. But we're going to talk about this young man and another young man in terms of what it looks like might be going on and what the easy answer is versus some alternative things to keep in mind. And so we have this young man, like I said, that I believe it was bad grades and argument. He decided to to leave. And that's not just a oppositional thing. That's not just an overnight thing. That's something that built up over time. And then we have this individual that uh, an investigator uh, said that he was in the top three of all sociopaths that he's worked with. And of course, this is uh, this this team that um, he actually got a couple friends involved, I believe, but uh, he, he uh, shot and killed his mom and and buried her outside of uh, a church, I believe, uh, out by a fire pit somewhere. And his language is very much like a sociopath. His language is very much um, very matter-of-fact and, and almost bragging and so on and so forth. And so it's really easy to say that this young man is a sociopath. It can be really easy to say that this other young man that left, you know, he's got oppositional disorder, oppositional defiant disorder or what have you. You know, um, a sociopath at, uh, I believe, 13, 14, it's possible. But uh, what this is for both these boys, these are expression. These are symptoms of a bigger problem. Are the parents involved? Very likely there's some things that, well, the parents can obviously always do something a little bit different. But what we're doing is we're missing out on important information. It's really easy, like with the Columbine kids and so forth, to say, that, well, the parents are off. Well, my opinion is everybody's off. Um, 
parents have very little exposure to their kids at that age, so the school systems might be off. Um, the other thing, like let's go back to this young man that that left home, uh, you know, and to their surprise, he says, I don't want to be found. You know, this is, uh, I've done a podcast on this idea of pretenders, and when I see the picture of this young man, and I think we'll post the links on this, when I, when I see the picture of this young man, um, I see a pretender, I see a young man that to us looks like, you know, that good, you know, Sterling Scholar, whatever kid. But uh, you know what? I see a kid that's got some depression. I got some. I see a kid that puts probably more pressure on himself than anybody else could. And in this example with this kid, let's stick with him for just a minute. This young man that went away, you know, we look at grades and so forth as a sign of health, a sign of success. And I tell you what, um, these stories of young men going away. This is one in the news. Um, I worked with a young man uh, that was brought in from Mexico, um, left the state and went down to Mexico, same type of idea. And the idea is terrible parenting, so on and so forth. Uh, Why? You know, this kid, he was involved in extracurricular activities. He had good grades. Well, those are kind of false uh, sense. There's a false sense of security with those grades often. For example, there's a difference between someone that works hard on grades and somebody that um, believes that their existence or worth and value is directly tied in or contingent upon grades. And so the grades reflect um, a battle, if you will, with depression and anxiety that uh, on the surface looks like hard work, but it's really this internal battle about being good enough, not being a burden, and so forth. Do I know this young man? Absolutely not. But before we go to, you know, analyzing what's wrong with this kid in terms of uh, poor decision making and so forth. What's wrong? I believe in this case was his dad. You know, um, there, there's more to the picture than just that. And the first place I look is okay. Are we getting a false sense of security by looking at his picture, by looking at his grades? By the time a young man decides to to leave like this, it's a pretty big deal. But he's been having thoughts and feelings related to getting away for a very long time. But like I said, he's likely done a very good job of of hiding that, pretending to be that healthy kid, to be that happy kid, because that's what his dad and others would want, while in the meantime fighting this battle. So some other things to keep in mind when we think, and we'll get back to this other uh, individual in just a second, but but this this first young man that that, uh, left, that uh, ran away, so to speak, other things that we don't think about, again, easier to pin it on parents, easy to look at grades and see what's going on there. But the idea is things to think about are what were his access to peers? Did he have peer resources? Peer resources, um, not only access to peers, but what kind of peer group was was this young man with? And I'm not trying to say that uh, the peer group solved or, or uh, caused this issue to happen, but the idea is if this is a young man that's depressed, he's going to have poor access to peers, and he's going to have access to peers that are going to have a similar mindset, thought process of wanting to get away, not feeling good enough, so on and so forth. Um, like I mentioned, we got to keep in mind that this is maybe very likely untreated depression. And uh, parents, you know, listen, even the best parents, whatever that is, even the best parents can really have a hard time identifying depression. So other things to keep in mind is things that are undetected, like learning challenges. Oftentimes with this this other individual, we'll talk about the, the violence and so forth. And those that withdraw, there's learning challenges that we're not aware of or challenges of expression. Uh, challenges of expression would be someone that's learned to 
cope with adults and so forth in a way where they present well because they don't know how to express their thoughts or feelings above and beyond just, you know, not being able to communicate them, but literally some type of disorder in that realm. And then also things that we look at, are there healthy outlets? Does he have access to healthy outlets? Does the family have resources? Are there financial resources? There are so many other factors beyond this was a kid that we knew was trouble from the time he was born to this was a a broken home or this was a bad parent. Um, We need to, you know, we need actually to look more at these factors and and uh, focus more on, okay, getting away from the easy answers. Yes, parents are easy to blame. Yes, they can, they can need some work. But to detect these individuals and help them, we can't wait until we find fault with the parents. We need to start looking at these uh, other mechanisms in more detail. So what we're going to do is we're going to come back in a few minutes, and we're just going to go ahead and talk about this other individual who obviously um, this is a much more violent situation, and uh, we want to be wary. We want to be mindful and careful about uh, how we judge and this this individual but i want to talk a little bit more about him and possibilities of what might be going on in his situation okay welcome back to counseling on demand so today we're talking about two cases we're talking about these two young men that showed up uh on uh, media this week. The first one is an individual that uh, wrote a note to dad saying, don't try to find me, left anything behind that would help them find this young man. He took $1,000 with him, and uh, they were able to see him on uh, a couple train cameras and so forth. Uh, But uh, this is a kid that went away, and we talked about that a little bit, about some factors there. And then, and this is a little bit more controversial, right? I'm going to be talking about a young man that uh, killed his mom. And you look at his photo, um, this is a young man that really looks like he doesn't care. And it may be that he doesn't care, but we need to be really careful about the easy answer, which is this guy's a sociopath. Um, and And we need to take a look at, okay, what are some other factors that might have really led into this situation? Again, it's easy to blame parents. It's easy to write this person off as a sociopath. Because after all, a 13, 14-year-old kid that does this, that's pretty darn scary. And it's outside of, you know, the, the uh, punching a hole in the wall or kicking the door in. Um, this is uh, somebody that uh, we don't want in society. And so we got to label that. Um, my belief is that uh, it's a different story. And obviously, I'm not there. But this is a young man that reminds me of some individuals I've worked with. And I think really what's going on here is my belief is this is a young man, and keep this in mind with your children, with yourself, other relationships. This is a young man that my guess is that uh, he went through a process of continually trying to attach with mother and some other adult figures. And uh, over the course of time, trying to attach, what I mean by is have good bonds. Uh, Over the course of time, becoming a lot more stressed, not feeling very effective in terms of grades, in terms of being funny or acceptable or those types of things. And so those attempts, what that would do is that put him in a place where he's constantly near 
that figure, trying to please that figure, even if he's exhausted, even to his own detriment. The idea being, you know, I'm I'm bargaining, I'm doing anything I can to gain that acceptance. Um, there's a level of exhaustion that, or a breaking point that at some point what happens is we start to de- develop these belief patterns that I am not for being loved, I'm not for being cared for. Um, now, you, we're going to bring depression into this too, by the way. Um, when we're talking about things like sociopath, um, in my experience, there's always going to be a mood disorder. And so this isn't all just on mom. This isn't all just on society. This is a young man that probably didn't uh, was hard to convince that he was lovable and so forth. And so I think there's some underlying depression. And uh, he found the need uh, to in order to show that he cares, in order to show that he matters and that other people, he's mindful of other people, um, I'm wondering if he worked to exhaustion to try to please mom and other people, whether they were able to help him see that he was, uh, was uh, important, I don't know, or whether he was able to see that himself. But what this looks like to me is a young man that uh, gets so exhausted that the idea is if I step back, um, I might be giving up on this idea that I'm important, and I'm really tired here. I'm exhausted. And so he gets to a place, and again, I haven't even met with him, but he gets to a place where he decides he doesn't care. In order to stand by the door, um, in order to not be hurt anymore, and what I mean by stand by the door is to try to seek closeness to somebody. He, After feeling ineffective, you can only feel bad feel like you're the root of the problem for so long, that he starts to decide he doesn't care. He might do things to try to prove he doesn't care. He might do things, to, uh, kind of, I call it Iron Man syndrome, where he puts on this thick metal suit, if you will, where emotionally nothing can hurt him. But deep down inside, he's still wanting and desiring to have that, that closeness, whether it's with friends and so forth. Isn't it interesting that this happened, you know, right in the seventh, eighth, uh, ninth grade range? This is a young man that is settling into identity, and his identity is that he my guess is that he is going he's supposed to do all this work for acceptance he's supposed to sacrifice all these things only to maybe feel important or only to have mom upset with him well if that's my identity okay then um and then i'm going to learn to turn myself off i'm going to learn to not care there's no such thing as not care. And so this young man, you know, harboring a lot of hurt, a lot of feelings, my guess is that ultimately it was a matter of, you know, stepping away and being alone or ultimately getting back at his mom. In this case, the idea is maybe mom didn't fit that template of what moms should be. And uh, did he think this out cognitively? I think it's more a little bit more in the midbrain, but the idea is, okay, these, these kids, he's not a sociopath. Uh, he's headed that direction for sure. But the idea is, my guess is this is a young man that has a, sought after, not always appropriately, but sought after um, things like an identity as one that's important, one that's effective. And those systems, whether it's home, school, friendships, they just, he just didn't quite match up to what he needed. He didn't feel effective became exhausted. And uh, and at some point, he kind of narrowed down to, um, if I'm going to continue to feel like this, this hurt and so forth, then I'm going to stop the hurt. Now, by no means am I saying that, uh, that that's okay, that we need to feel bad for him or those types of things. But 
But we do, just like I shared with this other young man, you know, we need to figure out uh, these things earlier, not wait for us to say, oh, the parents, he was abused in the home, so on and so forth. We need to develop programs that allow us to identify these individuals uh, earlier on. And and I think that requires a lot of ed- education. Will we stop this type of behavior? We don't know exactly, but we can interf- we can intervene a little bit earlier. And you know, instead of a young man that that loses it and is now a, a deemed a sociopath, maybe we have a young man that feels like he can be more effectively find ways to feel important and so forth. That's you know that's the idea I have behind what's going on, and uh, I, I think that uh, again we still need to hold him responsible. It's still a very scary thing, but uh, let's get away from this idea of the kid's a sociopath. End of sentence, or he came up in a bad home. End of sentence. We need to better understand uh, that this is something that forms over years, and these two individuals are actually just evidence of what's going on with youth, this evidence of the pressures that they're under, and uh, this age range where they're really trying to find that identity. So that's my take on these two individuals. Um, you know, hopefully, um, you know, things, uh, the appropriate help is there for them and, and uh, guidance and so forth. I really hope that that happens. Am I right about these individuals? Um, I don't know. I haven't ever met with them. But the idea is that it uh, is really indicative of things that I see every day. So uh, that, that's my take. Like I said, um, you know, be, be open-minded, obviously. Yeah, parents and so forth, easy to blame. But we need to start looking at other factors that might contribute to what's going on with these young men. And that way our minds shift more towards interventions and, and early awareness. I am Fred Riley. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can find me online at gettingbacktolife.com. That's gettingbacktolife.com. You can also find me on Instagram at Riley Counseling.